Hello and welcome to this second episode of this podcast from Jazz Community Church. My name is Adam, I am the pastor and I will be taking you through this second episode where we're looking at the vision for Jazz Community Church. Uh, before we begin, just a few things to say. Firstly, if you are interested in finding out more or coming along sometime to join us for a worship gathering, we gather on Sunday afternoons at four o'clock at uh, the church on Cambridge Road in Kingsheath in Birmingham in the UK. If that is uh, too far for you to come, if you're interested, but on the other side of the world or um, in another city, perhaps in the UK, uh, then you can connect with us as well by having a look at our website, www.jazzcommunity.church. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter as well. Just search for Jazz Community Church and you'll be able to connect with us there. We're always interested to hear, receive uh, emails and messages from around the world. So do uh, get in touch with us. In the first episode of the podcast, we were looking, um, beginning to look at the vision for Jazz Community Church and looking at the idea of spirit beyond words. Today, we're going to be looking at the broad topic of faith in practice. So I'd like to start with a reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter one, a reading from verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed him. I want to introduce you to a man called Bob. Bob has always loved the trumpet. When he was a little boy, uh, he watched Jules Holland with his Rhythm and Blues Orchestra and couldn't wait for those moments when the trumpet player would step to the front of the band, the separate microphone at the front, uh, to do those screeching trumpet solos in the middle of the boogie-woogie tracks. When he was quite young, his parents brought him, uh, brought him a book about the trumpet, uh, which would always be his first choice to read before going to bed. From this book, he learnt all about the different sizes and the different models of the trumpet, different brands and even different colours. Nowadays, you can buy uh, plastic trumpets as well, which is, which is an interesting one, isn't it? The shelves of his room were lined with CDs of famous trumpet players, Miles Davis, Louis Armstrong, Chet Baker and many more. On his eighth birthday, he was given his first trumpet. When he opened the case for the first time, the excitement was just bubbling over. When he started having music lessons, the first thing they looked at was they taught him how to look after his trumpet, how to make sure it was clean and functioning really well. He knew which parts needed oil, which parts needed to be polished, and which parts needed to be wiped clean. It always looked super shiny. Over the years, he learnt music theory, 
and he learnt which fingers to use for different notes in, in which combination and how exactly his mouth needed to be shaped in order to get the right possible sound, the best possible sound. By the time he was 18 years old, Bob was an expert in the trumpet. I've made up this story, of course. Um, I, well, I do know somebody called Bob, uh, but uh, this particular Bob is uh, not a real person. Uh, but I wonder if you were um, thinking, as I was telling that little story there, um, did Bob actually ever play the trumpet? And I think we're left with an interesting question, which is, is it possible to be a trumpeter without actually playing the trumpet? If, like Bob, you know all the theory, you listen to all the CDs, you even own your own trumpet but never play it, are you a trumpeter? Are you even a musician? Sometimes in the Christian th church we've thought about faith primarily as belief. Signing up to a set of statements or doctrines about God and the nature of the universe. Our tagline at Jazz Community Church is improvising life, following Jesus. Not improvising life, believing in Jesus, but improvising life, following Jesus. Those two things, of course, are intricately and deeply connected. You can't be a good trumpet player if you don't know any music theory if you don't know which finger positions are used for different notes. But the goal, the purpose, is to be able to play the trumpet. That's what a trumpeter is. And by that I mean to be able to play the trumpet well. Here at Jazz Community Church, our focus is on living out the Christian faith in practice. A key question that I try and reflect on regularly is how does my faith change, have an impact on the way I live every day? In the decisions I make, in the way I, I use my time, my money, my gifts and my skills. We began with that reading by uh, the Lake of Galilee where Jesus calls his first disciples. The word disciple is not one we use regularly today. It means follower, apprentice perhaps, trainee, learner. I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, I find, when I first read it, I found it quite odd. Why was it that Simon, Andrew, James and John literally walked away from their day job, their source of income, their lives perhaps, just because Jesus said three simple words, come, follow me. I've often heard sermons about uh, the level of commitment and interest that they showed in Jesus. How keen they were to make the sacrifice. But to me, on the face of it, it just looks like pure stupidity. I've got no doubt that Jesus was the most dynamic, interesting person you might ever meet. But even someone with that level of dynamism, would you just drop everything just from three words? Come, follow me. 
A few years ago, I found out some background which helped in my understanding of this particular passage. The area of the Galilee where this passage is set and where most of Jesus' early ministry is set was an extremely uh, deeply Jewish area, very religious. Children were taught the faith at a young age. In fact, we know from Jewish writings at that time uh, that it began at the age of five. And this was when they went into school, as it were, where they would begin to learn the Torah, what we know as the first five books of the uh, Old Testament, as we say, um, as, as Christians, or the Hebrew Bible, perhaps. And they would learn them often by heart, be able to recite long passages, many, many words by heart. Then they would move on to the writings and the prophets, the other parts of what as Christians we call the Old Testament. Again, by heart, word by word. At 10 years old, those who were, um, who were smart enough, who'd really picked things up well, would begin to learn what's known as the Mishnah, the oral tradition, the interpretations that people had of the scriptures. What other people thought, if you like, about how the scriptures could be interpreted and applied. At 15 years old, those who were still keeping up would then go on to learn directly from the teachers or the rabbis of their day. Some of the really top students might even be approached by a rabbi and would be asked to follow them, to learn from them, to be like them. It wasn't until 30 years of age when the very, very best students would have the opportunity and the authority, the recognition to make their own interpretations of the scriptures. They would say things like, you've heard it said that this passage means this, but today I tell you it means this. Sounds a bit like Jesus, doesn't it? How old was Jesus in the story um, we've heard today? 30 years old, roughly. He was a travelling teacher going from town to town. And at 30, he would be looking for some students, some apprentices, some disciples. So Simon, Andrew, they're casting their nets into the lake. What does that mean? They probably dropped out of school. Maybe they learnt the Torah, but they didn't make it any further than that. Instead, they learnt a trade, fishing. They see their local teacher arrive. They know him from the synagogue, perhaps on Saturday, and they know that he is looking for students, for disciples. So when he approaches them and he says those words, come, follow me, suddenly it starts to make sense. Jesus believes that they can be like him, that they can be one of his students, his disciples, his, his people. So then they go on to spend three years learning from what Jesus says, but perhaps more importantly, learning from what Jesus does and who he is. There's a saying in one of the Jewish writings that says this, roughly translated, of course, let the dust of the feet of the teachers as they walk cover you. 
Much of the land around that part of the world at that time was dry and dusty. So as the teachers, like Jesus, went from town to village to village to town, their apprentices, their disciples, their followers would be so close to their teacher that the dust from the teacher's feet would cover them. Let the dust of the feet of the teachers as they walk cover you. Be close. Learn. Follow. I believe that this model is still the same for us today as the church. Jesus calls each and every one of us because he believes that we can be like him. He believes that we can be somebody, that we can make a difference, that we can change the world like those first 12 disciples. We not only have the stories in the Gospels to see what Jesus is like, to learn from his teachings and imitate his ways, but we also have the gift of his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to guide and inspire us. Of course, we have to be prepared to sacrifice, to surrender, and above all, to have faith. Not just in the sense of belief, but in the sense of trust. We have to have faith in Jesus, to trust our teacher, to commit to the way of our teacher. I love this simple, raw model of following Jesus. Sometimes I feel that as the church we've overcomplicated things when what we see in the Gospels is so simple. Of course, the concept is simple. The doing it, well, that's something else. Somebody might say, Playing the piano is easy. All you have to do is play the push down the right notes in the right order. In reality, of course, it takes a lifetime to master, doesn't it? Years, hours of practice. The crucial thing, though, is this. How do you learn to play the piano? Any music teacher will tell you. Any instrument, in fact. Practice, practice, practice. You can have the best teachers in the world, you can have the best theory in the world, but if you don't play the instrument, you won't become a musician. At Jazz Community Church, I hope and I pray that we will continue to become a church of people who are passionate about following the way of Jesus, practising faith. People who improvise life as we all do, but improvise it to a specific tune, a head, as we might say in jazz, over a chord sequence, a structure that is based on our teacher, Jesus. I hope that we would put practising faith above professing faith, although, as I said before, the two are linked inseparably, perhaps. Perhaps we could see it, church, as like a well, drawing people to the living water. It's interesting thing to, to think about what models are at play when we think about church community. A popular model which does have some truth in it is that of a hospital. Wounded and sick people come to receive treatment, a cure. In many ways, this is a good model. But for me, it has two problems. Firstly, there are two tiers, those who are in need and then those who are offering 
the treatment to the doctors and nurses. Secondly, hospitals are about curing disease. But I think healing is much more than just that. It's about wholeness. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have life in all its fullness. Not, I have come that you might purely and simply have your, pro your problems cured. I want to suggest that a better model, a good model for, for a church is that of a workshop where we are all apprentices in the workshop, learning the skills of improvising life from the teacher who is Jesus. Our goal is to become great improvisers of life, living life to the full and contributing towards the restoration of the world, God's restoration. Some have been learning it longer than others and might be able to help and teach those who have been learning it for less time. Others might have specific areas of expertise, even if they've not been in the workshop very long, which will help specific people at specific times. But fundamentally, we are all on the same level. We're all learners, disciples, committed to following the way of Jesus. So what does this mean for us as a church? Well, it means that we welcome all people who want to join us on this journey, this task. It means that the talks that we hear on a Sunday will always have a practical edge to them. It means that we are focused on the thing of improvising life following Jesus. It means when we read scripture together, when we read the teachings about Jesus we're always considering what does it mean to follow Jesus. It means that we have a humility about our own lives as being an ongoing project alongside others. Most recently, we've talked about the things that we do together as a church, the shared practices. Two of them are these. We share real life stories and deep conversation. They're about sharing our everyday lives. This isn't about theory, but about practice. Sharing the realities of life together, journeying together. A bit like making music together, perhaps. One thing that's about to become a top priority for us is looking at small groups. These will be the place for real growth and learning. All the research suggests that from Sunday talks, people might pick up bits here and bits there. But it's in the conversation and the depth that you can get to in the context of a small group meeting in somebody's house, sharing our lives with one another, journeying with one another. That is when we will really grow and evolve. I would go as far as to say in my own experience, it's extremely difficult to grow in the context of improvising life without being part of a regular, consistent small group, which has discussion, study and prayer at its heart. Recently, some members of Jazz Community Church have started a stay and play group. This is really exciting. I've been um, really enthusiastic about this particular project of the church. And I've been really encouraged by the focus of the group, not being so much on um, the babies and the toddlers who come along, but on the parents. 
The focus is on support and encouraging them to improvise life as a mother, a father, a grandparent perhaps. This is faith in practice. We hope and pray that through this they might also deepen their interest and engagement with the church. The best learners, of course, the best apprentices are those who ask a lot of questions. Small children are a prime example of this. They're just soaking up information and they can't uh, stop themselves often asking question after question. Recently, when we've been thinking about who God might be calling us to reach as a church, we've been talking about people who have questions about life and faith. People who are interested in exploring and growing, joining us on this journey. To close, a reading from Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So in this passage we have Saul, later to become Paul, who is tracking down the early Christians. But interestingly, they're not called Christians in this passage, and that's because very early on they weren't called Christians. We can see in this passage they're referred to in two different ways. Firstly, as the Lord's disciples. We've talked about that already. But secondly... They're referred to as people who belonged to the way, followers of the way. This was a common way of talking about Christians before the term Christian, and I rather like it. It's more active than the noun Christian. It talks about the way, the path, the journey, someone who is moving, who is travelling, who is improvising perhaps. So I pray that we might be a gathering of people who belong to the way, a gathering of people who are learning and following our teacher and master, Jesus, a gathering of people who have made it our life's work to become the best improvisers of life and followers of Jesus that we can possibly be. So I want to leave you with the question that I pose to myself every day. How does your commitment to being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, make a difference to your life today, tomorrow and every day? Well, thank you for joining me for this second episode of our podcast from Jazz Community Church, looking at our vision if you haven't had a chance yet to check out episode one, I would encourage you to do that. And we would love to see you at one of our gatherings on Sundays at 4pm uh, at the church on Cambridge Road in Kings Heath in Birmingham in the UK. And you can also connect with us online at our website, jazzcommunity.church and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. I look forward to speaking with you soon.